0: to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John.
1: And I'm Robin.
0: And together, we research and break down complex issues facing our society and bring our findings to you every week. Our promise to you is to bring honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to try and make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human and our blind spots and biases will show through, but our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that together we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful, beneficial way.
1: Due to the nature of our podcast, some of the things that we talk about can get pretty heavy and they might be divisive, but we believe that common understanding can be found and we hope that those of you listening agree. We don't accept that the current state of society is the way that everything has to be. Together, we can build a better world for ourselves and for future generations. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. Welcome to our fireside indeed, where this week we are talking about America's national embarrassment and the topic of the hour, conspiracy theories. So if you're a drinker, might we suggest something that pairs well with morbid curiosity? But to be very clear, we're not planning to talk about specific theories. Oh no, you are perfectly capable of going out there and falling through those rabbit holes yourselves. We want to talk about the brass tacks of this stuff. What makes a conspiracy theory? Who believes them? And oh my God, why? And then in subsequent parts, we'll get into the fallout that comes from the belief and participation in these theories, like violence and radicalization and authoritarianism.
0: This is probably going to be the first part in an ongoing series. I don't know if we'll ever actually fully stop talking about this, but at least the next several episodes are going to involve it because it is so big and it it has dominated our society in particular rather heavily these past few years, or at least it feels like it has. So it might seem a little late to talk about conspiracy theories. I mean, after all, Joe Biden is president, Trump doesn't have Twitter anymore, and we're officially back to some semblance of normalcy where literally the craziest things we've ever heard are no longer being pushed from the highest offices in the land. And honestly, hopefully it is too late. And Maybe Trump will get his Twitter back, but one can hope we're in a better place by that time. The reality of the situation is that even now we have at least two members of the House of Representatives, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobbert. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce her name, but I don't care to figure it out, honestly, because I don't like her. She's not worthy of my effort. (laughs) Anyway, they openly subscribe to QAnon, and at least they're they're members of the House of Representatives at the time that we are recording this. Uh, there have been calls actually to remove at least Miss Bobbert, Bobbert, Bobay, and I'm sure Miss Green is probably also being talked about, although I haven't quite seen it. So this episode isn't going to focus on QAnon, but I'm going to bring it up right now because it's the current you know, uh, cool thing that all the kids are doing. It's the current conspiratorial fad, if you will. If you want the really short version of it, QAnon is basically a a theory, a a conspiracy, a group, whatever, that believes there is a high-level, cleared official anonymously providing hints, clues, and predictions about what is happening or getting ready to happen in the upper echelons of American society. The Q in the name refers to a special type of clearance, Q clearance, that is issued by the Department of Energy that allows access to top secret information. Primarily, this clearance is held by people with access to nuclear research weapons and related materials. So that's like, that person is apparently on the inside disseminating this highly sensitive information. And it is so important, I think, to recognize that the QAnon conspiracy theory is the backdrop of this conversation that we're going to have moving forward because it provides a very handy like reference to some of the things that we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about identifying factors and why people believe things. And if you look at why or who is following these Q theories and and the QAnon conspiracy theory, you can see all of this stuff just echoing back out of that group. So it's very, I think is a very handy tool. I do want to take one quick personal second just to address something. Having a top secret clearance, which I will remind our listeners, I actually currently have, so I know from whence I speak, it does not mean that you have access to all top secret information. You are simply cleared to access that top secret information and only that top secret information for which you have a need to know. So There are two controls to accessing classified information. You must both be able to access it, which means having the clearance, and you must have the need to access it. If you do not have both, you cannot access that information. Attempting to do so can result in anything from a written reprimand to literal jail time, just depending on the overall circumstances surrounding accessing that information. Basically, just because you have a driver's license doesn't mean you can walk up to any car and get behind the wheel. You have to have the keys. It's that same sort of principle. Now, I can't, me personally, I can't just go around willy-nilly reading whatever classified documentation I want. So anyone claiming to have any sort of clearance, then claiming to have insider knowledge of a broad range of topics at the highest levels of government and society, should be met with extreme Skepticism. For Q clearances specifically, it simply does not make sense for this Q actor to be privy to both the breadth and depth of knowledge they claim to have. One, the Q clearance, while it grants the ability to access the same level of information as a top secret clearance, is far more restricted in the scope of the information it can access. The Q clearance, as defined by the Atomic Energy Act of 1954, covers the development, regulation, and disposal of nuclear materials and facilities in the United States. It does not allow the holder to, say, access information about the upcoming classified law enforcement actions of the U.S. government, which Q frequently seems to have detailed insider knowledge of. There are many, 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 other reasons. This conspiracy theory fails to get off the ground for me. But that one, that one right there, that is the easiest and most obvious of the holes in the whole plot.
1: Yeah. However, somehow we still have at least two members of Congress that seem to buy into it. At least two members of Congress believe that there's a ring of high-level satanic pedophile cannibals that not only pull all the levers of government, media, and industry, but also managed to run a massive underground child trafficking ring to supply its members with fresh children. Sigh. If you remember Pizzagate, QAnon was involved. But Q also covers a much broader range of topics like the 2020 election being stolen, 5G causing coronavirus, the coronavirus vaccine having microchips to track people, the pandemic being completely made up, the pandemic being used to cover up the child trafficking ring, Bill Gates, George Soros, the Rothschild secretly being in on the ploy and trying to rule the world, the whole new world order trope, chemtrails, GMOs, global warming being made up, and on and on and on. Um, oh, and Trump is fighting against the combined forces of this massive cabal. Q conspiracy... Q conspiracists await what they call the storm, a day when Trump will pull the curtain back and reveal the entirety of this nefarious plot, exposing it to the world and vindicating his followers and himself. Um, If you want to know more about QAnon and the absolute ridiculousness that is the theories and um, also the theories about who Q might actually be, uh, there's a podcast called Reply All, and they have at least two, if not three, really great podcasts on just the topic of Q and Pizzagate and um, who might be behind this whole Q shenanigans. So um, we're obviously not going into detail more than that. But if you would like to check that out, you are welcome to. It, it would seem, though, that there is no conspiracy too big or too crazy or too implausible for this Q umbrella. Um, I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen Q claiming that the Earth is flat. If you think maybe they even think that that is one bridge too far, do not delude yourself, though. Lauren Whitsky was the GOP congressional candidate in Delaware who, thankfully, did not win that race. But she claims that she believes in a flat earth and Q. So the audience is certainly there, right? It is all patently and demonstrably false to anyone who hasn't been sucked in far enough to believe it. And yet, I will repeat... We have two members of the United States Congress who openly and actively support this conspiracy. And on January 6th, we saw hundreds of supporters attack the U.S. Capitol building in an attempted coup, many of them believers in this theory. You can hear Q everywhere that that you hear chants of stop the steal or see signs with the hashtag save our children. God, I had so many conversations about that hashtag this year. These Q signs were literally in the highest chamber of our government. So, while we certainly hope that this series is far too late and conspiracy theories will just now be wholly irrelevant, my gut tells me that it's not. I think we're at the beginning of a very long and very painful reckoning with these conspiracists, and unless something changes and we can come to a place as a society where we can agree on what is true and what is not, What information is worthy of consideration or condemnation where we can learn to think and evaluate critically and debate in good faith, this is far, far from over. The voices might be quieter for a while, though even that's doubtful, but they will certainly be there, circulating these stories and their fables and preparing to do something dramatic because of them.
0: I've seen a quote going around a lot on social media lately Ironically, it's usually shared by people who seem to think that there was a a problem with the election that it was stolen. Again, despite all evidence to the contrary. Um, but the quote is 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 relevant in this time, and it's it's actually a paraphrase of a longer thought by Voltaire, and it says, "Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities." Right, which we have seen demonstrated in. Brilliant fashion. I don't think that Voltaire needs any validation, but if he did, I'm certain the events of January 6th would give him a sort of bitter satisfaction, you know? It's interesting to me, though, Voltaire, in this phrase that he's talking about, he was specifically referring to religion and how blind faith can lead to religious crimes and extremism. Hmm. Just a thought for another time.
1: Just a thought.
0: Yeah. Let's get to it. You know, let's now that we've provided the backdrop for this amazing conversation that is just frustratingly necessary right now. What exactly are conspiracy theories? And it's one of those questions that I thought was going to be way easier to answer than it was <laughs> like, as usual. Right. It's, uh, you know, that old quote about pornography Like, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's kind of similar to that. I mean, we have hard definitions that that can work for it, but it's just, when it comes down to narrowing it down and, and really drilling it in, it's slippery. So all that just brings us to the question, back to the question, rather, what exactly are conspiracy theories? And... The common definition is that they are explanatory beliefs about a group of actors that collude in secret to reach malevolent goals. These theories are ultimately attempts to explain the causes of significant social and political events and circumstances. At their core, conspiracy theories are an extension of a very natural human instinct, seeking to explain the unexplained. The desire only intensifies when we are faced with harm, either perceived or or real or otherwise. When we are attacked by something, we are driven to figure out why and how. When our body hurts, we find the cause. We think about what we've done that may have led to the pain. We think about what we ate, if we fell, how we moved or sat or slept. We build a story to satisfy our need to know. But when that pain is less tangible, when it's children getting sick or terrorists striking us where we think we're safe, when the world changes in ways that confuse or scare us, or we're told that the way we've been doing things is wrong and harmful and it has to change and that threatens our way of life, when it's seeing our group of people struggle while others succeed. Essentially, when the pain isn't physical, but deeper, an attack on our id, our foundational understanding of the world, our pride, when that's the foe, finding the explanation isn't near as easy. So we humans do what we're wired to do, what we're best at, and what feels good. We start finding the pattern. We look for clues things that fit together to fill the blanks and give us a target, an enemy to direct our energy towards, things that make sense to us. And that's the trick. That's what makes conspiracy theories so insidious. They make sense to us. And unfortunately, we don't always have the complete picture. But we aren't very good at accepting that we don't have the complete picture, that we don't have a good understanding of things because our brains fill in the gaps and, and complete patterns and make logical jumps that might not be sound and then digs in its heels whenever our assumptions are challenged. Conspiracies suck in people who need meaning behind the chaos that is existence. But many people lack the cognitive tools or experience problems that prevent them from being able to find accuracy and meaning through rational means. And so the thought process becomes more and more irrational. And from that potpourri of experience is where we start developing these conspiracy theories.
1: Usually a conspiracy theory involves two or more powerful actors. In the most familiar conspiracies of today, these actors are usually governments or their agents, but in reality, it could be any group perceived as powerful, especially if those groups are also considered malevolent. Using another popular conspiracy theory, the Bush administration, the Saudi government, several corporations, financial industries, and the Jews, all of them together apparently, banded together to launch the largest terrorist attack on American soil ever. Right? To be clear, a conspiracy theory is not the same thing as a conspiracy, first of all. A conspiracy refers to something that really and actually happened. Actors working together to achieve a goal, and then there's real evidence that can support these claims. You might be familiar with the terms conspiracy to commit murder or conspiracy to commit fraud. This means that these groups were making plans to do these things or may have actually committed these things, and then an investigation revealed the pieces of the picture to tie these things together. And this differs from conspiracy theories in that a conspiracy theory refers to an allegation of conspiracy that may or may not be true. Another term that you might hear is conspiracy belief. This is a slightly more flexible term in that it might refer to either a specific belief or a broader group of conspiratorial thoughts that may be related as like a, a conspiracy belief structure. So the QAnon phenomenon might be best referred to as a conspiracy belief structure. Sometimes they might even just refer to a vague, undefined allegation of nefarious activity by a group, like the Bilderberg group controlling, well, everything. Kind of falls into this category of general conspiracy belief. I believe that there is a vague and undefined conspiracy about this group of other One really crucial characteristic of a conspiracy theory is that it has a distinctively social element. Conspiracy theories are inherently social phenomenon because their basis is in intergroup conflict. In common discussion, many folks will tend to conflate the idea of paranoia with conspiracy theories. And while the two are empirically related, if you are prone to paranoia, you are also more likely to be prone to believing conspiracy theories. Paranoia and conspiracy theories different are different in one really important respect, and that is that paranoia is self-relevant and specifically pertains to suspected hostility against oneself. But instead, conspiracy theories involve beliefs that assume that a powerful or hostile outgroup is conspiring against one's own group or even another group. That's why we see conspiracy theories implicating political organizations or branches of industry or minority groups or managers. And because of that, conspiracy beliefs flourish among members of groups who are involved in mutual conflict. If we're going to rely on like a paranoia, individual-based thing, it's really hard for those ideas to spread because, well, Joe over there doesn't really care if Katie thinks that, you know, a bad guy is following her around every time she goes to McDonald's. But if Katie can convince Joe that bad guys are following everybody who goes to McDonald's, well, then we've turned it into a social thing and it's an us against them and it's, it becomes a full-blown conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. I, I came across a summary of conspiracies that I think provides a good roadmap for our research and we want to include it here because there is an element to conspiracies that we haven't discussed just yet that acts as like a secret sauce to boost conspiracy theories into that viral marketplace of ideas. And that element is narrative. Every conspiracy theory provides a narrative to legitimize its account of contemporary society, offering a view of how things got to be the way that they are. Conspiracy theory provides archeology span in narrative form, locating causes and origins of the conspiracy, piecing together events, collecting random occurrences to organize a chronology or a sequence of sorts, and providing revelations and denouncements by detailing the conspiracy's plans for the future. Narrative provides a form of mapping for conspiracy theory, offering not only an explanatory history, but also a map of the future that is to come. I think we've talked about it before, but because as a communications professional I'm trained to create narratives, I am also well trained to see narratives. And more than anything, it's vitally important that we all become trained to see narratives. There are stories that are created intentionally and unintentionally that dictate the way that we understand everything that's happening, especially right now. Um, There are narratives on every different news channel and from every different group that seems to be involved in controversy, and everyone is telling one version of the story. Um, And so the idea that the most important component of a conspiracy theory is this idea of narrative, it is the story that it tells, is new information, but it's not surprising. And then that brings us to kind of one final characteristic of conspiracy theories. And that's that they tend to answer every question about an issue, every little nitpick, every doubt, mystery, or piece of counter evidence, every pesky fact. The conspiracy theory addresses them all and the ultimate irony of the conspiracy theory is that in explaining this mystery they leave little to no room at all for the unknown and in the rare case that something is in fact unknown it's not only discoverable but the truth will be discovered in very short order this is one of the ways in which conspiracy theories hold a distinct advantage over the truth The truth is often partial, it's incomplete, it has gaps due to the chaotic nature of life, and it takes us time to discover all of the pieces of it. But a conspiracy theory is always a robust and fulsome explanation for every why there's a reason, and for every how there's an explanation that makes the conspiracy theory much more satisfying of an answer than the pesky and question-filled reality.
0: Which might in turn indicate why people are so prone to believe these things, especially certain people. So who really believes these conspiracy theories? It's, it's, we see them apparently at all levels in our society. We've got congressional members who believe them all the way down to some guy wearing a Buffalo hat and nothing else to the Capitol building. I don't know what's up with him,
1: but No.
0: The short answer here is that a lot of people have always believed conspiracy theories. It's just like... Yeah. Does somebody from this group... Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. Mm -hmm. Whatever group it is, yeah, probably.
1: Oh, way back then? Uh, Yeah, even then.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, belief in them is not restricted to specific times or, or cultures. So quantitative research has found evidence for widespread conspiracy beliefs in countries around the world from modern to traditional and and ancient societies. This is not new. This is a weird little tick in human programming that has been there for as far as we have written records. Historical sources suggest that substantial numbers of citizens have believed conspiracy theories since before we... You know, kept track of these things. Throughout the centuries, wars were characterized by excessive and mutual conspiracy theories between enemy groups. Part of this is that dehumanization of the other in order to make it easier for you to go out and spear them to death and then move on to the next one and not really feel that you just killed another human being. And that's a tactic that's employed by modern armies still, the dehumanization of the other. And in politics, and we've talked about it all over Mm -hmm. the place, in in police work, unfortunately. One can find conspiracy theories also in the writings of uh, Tacitus, who described how Roman citizens believed that Nero and his loyal servants deliberately ignited the great fire of Rome in the year 64 AD. And I actually didn't know that was a conspiracy (laughs) theory. I thought that was the truth. Yeah, same. So, yeah, that one still lives on. Obviously, didn't pay attention to my ancient Roman history. I don't know that I had an ancient Roman history class, which I'm going to claim in my defense right now.
1: No, I absolutely did in college um, because I was an antiquities major for the first two years of college. And and uh, and I like this was absolutely corrected in my history class. Right. Oh, that's good. Uh, To the point where basically nobody knows exactly what started the fire. Uh, I'm but pretty sure it's
0: a cow kicking over a lantern.
1: That was Chicago.
0: Oh, you know Chicago, Rome, <laughs> Rome, <laughs> potato.
1: Right, but they but they did bring up the fact that this was a, a very common theory, and it was not hard for people to believe because Nero was absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, but Jesus, yeah. yeah,
0: huh? Well, I yeah, I did not know that until we were writing this outline. I saw you put that put that there. I mean, I was. Luckily, not spreading that around through my day-to-day life. Wait, what? <laughs> <But> <laughs> I don't often get into conversations about Nero, but you know. In medieval times, conspiracy theories led to major tragedies, including the killing of Jews, surprise, shock, who were, for instance, accused of conspiring to poison drinking wells as a means of explaining disease epi- epidemics um, or witch hunts the salem witch trials was it, it, that's that was a conspiracy theory that had taken root yeah and had been internalized and then fully bought into by the population and then uh, the i guess spiritual successor to that another conspiracy theory in modern america the the red scare when mccarthy yeah. went insane trying to find these so-called or supposed communist actors that had infiltrated American society in order to undermine and um,
1: Which is still a so narrative we're... that we hear over and over and over and over
0: What the I mean, it's socialism now. That's the big scare word. Yeah, but it's the same. It's, it's the, the same, same story idea. Yeah, absolutely the same the socialists are trying to take over. They're trying to undermine society. They're trying to uh, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah <sighs> Podcast for another time Uh In an analysis of over 100,000 letters sent to major US newspapers between 1890 and 2010, two researchers, this guy's Polish, so I think it's Uszczynski and Parent, looked for some indication that conspiracy theories are a modern issue. However, their analysis did not find increased evidence in letters published in the new millennium Instead, conspiracy theorizing was remarkably stable over a full 120 years. we just I, always thinking.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, hey, there's a newspaper. Let me write a letter to them. And, and what we see is just, you know, solid evidence that we've been conspiratorial for ages.
0: So conspiracy theories.
1: Been... Oh, go for it.
0: I was just going to say, there's always been that guy. Always. Who wrote to the newspaper <laughs> to... To, to pull the wool back from society's right. collective eyes.
1: You may Gosh. not realize it,
0: but... Where would we be without these geniuses that have saved us over and over and over again?
1: I mean, we wouldn't be recording this podcast episode.
0: That's true. We wouldn't need it.
1: So, oh. thanks, guy. Conspiracy <laughs> theories also emerge across a wide variety of social settings. Um These theories commonly accuse governmental institutions and entire branches of industry of malpractice. Conspiracy theories also often accuse entire minority groups, such as Muslims or Jews, of hostile plans to plot a revolution. Um, But these conspiracy theories also occur in micro-level settings, like companies where employees suspect their managers of working against them for their own benefit. And it's, it's not even a particularly Western or American thing Though a 2017 analysis of government survey data by the University of Oxford and the University of Liverpool uh, found that more than a quarter of the American population believes that there are conspiracies, quote unquote, behind many things in the world.
0: I, in the course of this research, found out that as of 2018, 60% of the U.S. population still believes the CIA assassinated Kennedy.
1: I I should be more surprised by that.
0: Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Ju- well, I mean, if you think it about it, mind. though, it Kennedy
1: assassination tropes and stories, like, was a whole cash cow. That was, like, one of our solid precursors to true crime. We went through that whole phase where it was about, like, who really killed Kennedy in the 90s.
0: It was Ted Cruz's dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was waiting for that. But So it's not American. It's not particularly Western. But are there any characteristics in a person or in a group that indicate some sort of a predisposition to believe or to spread conspiracy theories? Well, the answer to that question is yes. And we can start with a group called Intuitive Thinkers. So conspiracy theories, even the most irrational ones, are often supported by a whole range of elaborate arguments that that full picture solution that we were just talking about. This could leave, lead someone to assume that belief in conspiracy theories is based on an analytic or a deliberative thinking process. For example, The moon landing conspiracy theories are often justified through an extensive analysis of the lack of wind on the moon in conjunction with the apparent movement of the U.S. flag on the video recordings. Right, so it would be tempting then to assume that belief in conspiracy theories is closely associated with the kind of thinking that thoughtfully questions the official interpretations of impactful events and that critically analyzes evidence in favor of or against a conspiracy theory. Uh, But science suggests quite the opposite. In fact, belief in conspiracy theories is positively associated with intuitive rather than analytical thinking.
0: And that might seem strange. I mean, we just gave an example of conspiracy theorists using analysis, quote unquote, to prove their point. But then said that conspiracy thinking is more common among intuitive thinkers who basically just go with their gut quote-unquote, on something more than they critically evaluate it. And well, friends, this is where we run into our favorite phrase, intersectionality.
1: God, we say that so and often.
0: It's like every episode. It's almost like the entire world is run by intersections of different ideas and thoughts and cultures. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. So in this case, the people who value themselves as as critical thinkers or open-minded. They they think that they are more able to discern the truth that lies in a field of falsehoods than other people. And they are likely overestimating their abilities to actually do that. Uh, to quote uh,
1: <laughs>
0: this research name is Vitriol, which I think is... Hilarious, given that we're talking about, you know, we're talking about conspiracy theories in the in the context of what just happened. Uh, But yeah, so Vitriol and Marsh in 2018 uh, concluded that people who overestimate their ability to understand complex causal phenomena are prone to conspiracy beliefs. So when a person thinks that they are intelligent and capable of rational, unbiased thought and then that coincides with an inflated belief in their understanding of complicated topics, they are far more likely to believe a conspiracy theory. And I am sure everyone is listening to this right now and thinking of probably multiple friends they have on social media going, yep. I mean, I know
1: I am. (sighs) Yeah, I I mean, I definitely know tons of people like that. And I think... There's this, there's a difference between being the person who uh, is capable of doing that high-level analysis and being a person who believes somebody else's high-level analysis. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, It's the idea that, that I, oh, I trust that. I'm going to go with my gut and trust that analysis because that makes sense to me versus going in and actually doing that critical analysis for oneself. Um, And actually, that leads into another factor, which is education. Uh, Consistently, higher levels of education predict lower rates of conspiracy beliefs. And I'm going to enter a caveat right now. I am not an asshole. I know that when when a person makes these kinds of us-them delineations, like educated, less educated, it's really easy to come across as a complete jerk. So I promise I am just reading the research here one possible explanation for this is the tendency among the less educated to attribute agency and intentionality where it doesn't actually exist. In other words, it's easier and more common for them to believe that people are doing things to them on purpose. And like we just talked about a few minutes ago, more highly educated folks tend to have an increased analytical thinking skills versus relying on that level of intuition.
0: I'm also going to have an interjection where we stress this doesn't really mean that more highly educated people are smarter than people with less schooling. It's more likely that people who have been in school longer have struggled and been challenged in their thinking more often, and so are less reliant on their instinctive thinking. Formal education tends to more frequently put us in situations outside of our comfort zones and experience and and depth than day-to-day life does. This is not a commentary on intelligence, just life experiences. And this, like many of the things that we have talked about, is a general rule. Individual experiences may fall far outside of this pattern, and that is to be expected.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, in the research that we were doing, I came across one study that that was able to reduce people's acceptance of conspiracy theories simply by having them do critical thinking puzzles, like crypto quips and crossword puzzles. And they so they they asked people about their conspiracy beliefs, and then they had them do these critical thinking and analytical puzzles, and then they asked them again, and they believed them less. It really has less to do with how much you know and how much you understand than it does with your analytical thinking processes. Um, And again, like we harp on intersectionality and overlap a lot, but there are just so many of these correlational factors that go along with somebody's level of education. And we'll talk about this a lot more in the section on why people believe conspiracy theories, but there are specific emotional states of being that heavily predispose people to being participants in conspiratorial thinking. And so those emotional experiences are often common among the groups of people who may also be negatively affected by a lack of education. It's never just one thing. It's always a lot of things.
0: Right. And, and that's what I wanted to point out. It's, it, there is a sort of a pattern. You'll notice that the last two points overlap a lot. So people who rely on instinctive thinking often have less formal education than more analytical thinkers. The next point is going to overlap with these two points and so on. And I think it is easiest to think of these identifiers uh, of people who who believe in conspiracy thinking um, as a sort of filter. The more filters a person passes through, the more likely they are to believe conspiracies. At any time, however, a person could run into the filter and stop short of conspiracy thinking, right? Or maybe they believe some conspiracies that have more rational support, but not others. Because there's, there, are, there is like a continuum yeah. of conspiracy theories. There are some that are closer to conspiracy. There's a lot of evidence for them. We might just not mm-hmm. have the linchpin piece. And there are others that are just out there. So the filter might knock them out of this this pathway before they get to the the really crazy ones. Um, so they'll question government-run medical programs because of things like the Tuskegee experiment or the MKUltra project, but they won't buy into a flat Earth conspiracy because that's just that's a that's a bridge too far. So no single indicator will make a person believe in conspiracy or make them predisposed to believing a conspiracy. It's not a guarantee. It's just that the more of these that they have, the more likely it is. And conversely, it is possible that someone doesn't meet any of these requirements. They they pass through, or rather they don't pass through a single filter, but they still believe a conspiracy. You know, people at the very top with Ivy League educations and make a lot of money and are in the in crowd and cool, and they might believe it. It's just, it's a very complicated topic. So it's very hard to drill down what exactly drives people to believe in this. So when we're presenting these identifiers, this is just some of the 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 best studied ones that we've got right now, the ones that have the most support behind them out of what we were able to find that have broad application across multiple people groups. That's all.
1: Exactly. Uh, we're just kind of listing the factors that, that researchers are coming across, but... We've said it before, we'll say it again. It's never going to be completely true for everybody. There will always be an exception. One more factor that we do want to talk about is that people tend to be more prone to believing conspiracies if they feel like they are a part of a group that is alienated from the political system, wherever they are. These people might experience something called anime or a feeling of unrest or a lack of understanding of the social world. And I'm sure that you can think of people in your life that express this kind of feeling all the time in different words. Maybe it's the idea that there are only two genders and there always have been and I don't get why we have to complicate things. Or I don't understand why we have all this money for foreign countries but none for our own citizens. These phrases at their core stem from a lack of understanding about what is happening in society and then a pushback, and there, and then the pushback against it is an extension of feeling ostracized from a political group or party or even from political control or agency. And then, th- I mean, there are so many other factors that we, we just don't have time to get into, but in summary, conspiracy theories are more likely to be common among the low status groups in society, the so-called out groups, seeking to explain why they're on the outside. And this actually gives us a pretty good window into why people believe conspiracy theories.
0: So while previously the, the tendency to believe in conspiracies was dismissed as pathological or a, an illness or some sort of mental defect, for lack of a better term, we've kind of already established that conspiracy theories are common among surprisingly large numbers of citizens. So that theory doesn't really hold up. And although conspiracy theories differ widely in in content, research indicates that beliefs in them are rooted in the same underlying psychology. In fact, the single best predictor of belief in one conspiracy theory is belief in a different conspiracy theory even beliefs in mutually incompatible conspiracy theories are positively correlated. So for example, there are people out there who believe both that Princess Diana was assassinated and that she staged her own death because they can accept the higher unifying idea that there was some sort of cover-up. So what are the processes that lead people to be comfortable with this kind of thinking?
1: One potential answer to that question is evolution, or adaptation, if you prefer. The adaptive conspiracism hypothesis proposes that while conspiracy theories are not necessarily adaptive in modern environments, they were adaptive among ancient hunter-gatherers who regularly dealt with intergroup conflict and substantial reproductive loss because of it, Right, and that's kind of the linchpin there, right? This model asserts that human beings evolved a conspiracy detection system, a functionally integrated mental system that is activated by specific cues associated with an increased likelihood of hostile coalitions, that is, actual conspiracies, and that produces adaptive outlets to protect against dangerous conspiracies. So, essentially, a long time ago when we were hunter-gatherers, if we didn't pay very close attention to cues that bad guys were... Conspiring against us, we would lose our opportunity to reproduce. And so that's why we believe in QAnon. I
0: think there's a couple of steps in between there, basically. But yeah. Yeah, no,
1: it's a fully (laughs) rational logic. (laughs) Actually,
0: and I thought, I actually saw a theory that that piggybacked off of this adaptive conspiracism hypothesis, sort of, and it has changed, but is actually still in, in play today, In in that conspiracies, conspiracy theories serve as another identifier for uh, figuring out who's in who's part of your group. So it is easier for you to recognize who your allies are in a given situation because you both believe that there are cannibalistic pedophiles at the upper levels of society. Right? We we believe (laughs) the same thing. We're on the same team. Yeah. Stuff like that
1: that
0: makes sense yeah it's uh, going back to it's actually similar to the stereotype thing you know it's a a shorthand to help us navigate the world better because the world is complex and confusing and we all want to stay alive yeah so there is evidence that sorry there is a a more widely explored solution to this um to this question why and that's kind of that we get in our in our feelings (laughs) both individual and collectively. There is evidence that emotions, especially negative emotions like anxiety, uncertainty, or the feeling that one lacks control, they can predispose people to acceptance of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy beliefs are also correlated with or, or predicted by the perception that society is under threat and that society's fundamental values are changing. And then these theories gain momentum in the context of anxiety-provoking societal crisis events such as terrorism or, I don't know, natural disasters or maybe a war. How about a pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know anything about societal crisis events here.
1: No. 2021. Mm -mm. Nothing.
0: Nah. But even, even outside of this context... This, this is an issue, especially for Americans. Uh, researcher Melinda Moyer notes that when feelings of personal alienation or anxiety are combined with a sense that society is in jeopardy, people experience a kind of conspiratorial double whammy. It's just, oh, i got to figure this out. It's an existential threat of a higher value, right? So in May 2018, the American Psychiatric Association released the results of a national survey suggesting that 39% of Americans felt more anxious than they did in 2017, primarily about health, safety, finances, politics, and (laughs) relationships—
1: You know, all the things. All
0: things that made it through 2020 without any issue.
1: <laughs>
0: Another 2017 report found that 63% of Americans were extremely worried about the future of the nation, and that 59% considered that the lowest point in U.S. history that they can remember is right now. In
1: 2017. Sorry.
0: Yeah, let me re-read re- oh. that sentence.
1: No, I just- Another was- two- yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in 2017, a bunch of people thought that that was the lowest that U.S. history could go. And that was that was basically probably, I mean, mm.
1: if
0: we can get into the weeds about it, but because that's the year that Trump took the reins. So,
1: yeah. I mean, look, it is what it is.
0: Hey, look. I'm just saying, the proof is in the pudding. Exactly. It is what it is. It is what it is. So a 2018 Pew Research Center survey found that the majority of both Democrats and Republicans felt that their side, their side in politics has been losing in recent years on issues they found important. And, And research from the University of Miami has shown that people who dislike the current political party in power think more conspiratorially conspiratorially, conspiratorially, got it, than those who support the controlling party. So really, right now, we're set up for success.
1: Yeah, this is just literally the best possible scenario that America could find itself in right now. And in these stressful and emotional situations, a conspiracy theory can essentially provide a comfort by identifying a scapegoat It makes a chaotic world seem more straightforward and more controllable. Researcher Stefan Lewandowski says that people can assume that if these bad guys weren't there, then everything would be fine. Whereas if you don't believe in a conspiracy theory, then you just have to accept that terrible things happen randomly. That idea really does create a sense of powerlessness, and again, studies have shown that a lack of control directly influences conspiratorial thinking and leads people to exaggerate the influence that they attribute to their enemies. In a 2015 study in the Netherlands, researchers split college students into three groups. One group was primed to feel powerless by recalling and writing about a time in their lives when they felt like they were not in control of the situation that they were in. The second group was asked to write about a time when they felt totally in control. And then a third group was asked to describe what they had for dinner the night before in order to kind of just keep them neutral. And then the researchers asked all of the groups how they felt about the construction of a new subway line in Amsterdam that had been plagued by problems and basically conspiracy theories. Those who had been primed to feel in control were less likely than those in the two other groups to support the conspiracy theories regarding that subway line.
0: So feeling alienated or unwanted also seems to make conspiratorial thinking more attractive. In 2017, Princeton University psychologists set up an experiment involving groups of three. They asked all participants to write two paragraphs describing themselves, and then told them that their descriptions would be shared with the other two in their group, who would then use that information to decide if they would work with the person in the future. The researchers told some subjects that they had been accepted by their group, and others that they had been rejected and then evaluated those subjects' thoughts on various conspiracy-related scenarios. The rejected participants feeling alienated were more likely than others to think the scenarios involved a coordinated conspiracy. So while the automatic and epistemic mental processes of pattern perception and agency detection are not emotional per se, aversive emotional experiences do activate those cognitive processes, increasing the likelihood of conspiracy thinking, which in simple, I went, did not go to science school words, um, <laughs> <laughs> means that these, these processes that we, that we've been talking about, that can be classified as, as automatic uh, and epistemic meaning uh, relating to knowledge and how valid it is. Right. So how, much we attribute correctness to a thought. So these automatic processes and these automatic evaluations and and then recognizing pattern and then rec- and then as- ascribing agency to something like somebody did that on purpose, these aren't necessarily emotional. That is not being mad or sad or whatever. However, things that activate our emotions, also activate those same cognitive processes, those same things. So it increases the likelihood that those processes are going to be drawn in and colored by our emotions.
1: I mean, well, let's just take a second and talk about the hashtag science behind these cognitive processes that connect emotions and conspiracy beliefs, shall we? We shall. So there are two basic and automatic cognitive processes that underlie this relationship between our emotions and conspiracy beliefs. and You hinted at them just a second ago, but we'll go into a little more detail. The first one is pattern perception. People automatically search for meaningful and causal relationships between stimuli. It's a human thing. We all do it. And I'm not trying to brag here, but this is actually one of my hidden superpowers. I am really good at pattern recognition and noticing random things that correlate. Like the fact that a lot of world-class swimmers have underbites. Or that whenever you have a group of three same-sex siblings, one will always be more attractive than the other two. And if you have four, one will also be noticeably less attractive than the others. Also... Scottish people have incredibly expressive eyebrows. Like they have control of their eyebrow muscles in a way that other people do not. I'm telling you these things for your own benefit, but I digress. That's not what we're talking about. To
0: my advantage. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What we're talking about here is something called illusory pattern perception, and it means finding patterns in objectively random groups of information, like seeing images and random TV noise. Like, uh, people don't even get noise on their TVs anymore.
0: I know. I know.
1: Back in the old days when you had to change the channel with a knob, you would get these noise patterns on your screen if a channel went off the air or they were having technical difficulties and people used to report seeing like images in that noise um or Just static p- perceiving patterns in random stock market information and again this is something that we all do i mean you've probably experienced one of these most common forms of illusory pattern perception which is called pareidolia which every happens every single time that you look at a cloud in the sky and you say that looks like a rabbit your brain is incorrectly interpreting stimuli and giving you a conclusion about it that cloud does not look like a rabbit but your brain really wants to find something that the cob looks like, so it's going to pick a rabbit. And research does indicate that perceiving patterns in random stimuli can predict belief in conspiracy theories. And then the second process at play here is agency detection. And that's the tendency to perceive events as being caused by intentional agents. Karma, anyone? The idea that Actions in our lives are caused by actions we took previously, like that whole idea. At its core, that's agency detection. We're assigning a reason to that time that we spilled coffee down our brand new white shirt and stained it forever. With conspiracy thinking, the agents in question are usually far more literal, though. They're men in black or they're lizard people, for example. And these two basic cognitive processes are reliably triggered by the same emotions that trigger conspiracy beliefs. Feeling a lack of control not only increases belief in conspiracy theories, but it also increases our illusory pattern perception. Why? Because our brains are looking for reason and rhythm and rhyme and an ability to control. Feelings of uncertainty not only increase conspiracy beliefs, but also other forms of agency detection, such as people's belief in agentic moralizing gods, That kind of sounds like science has just implied that religion is a primer for conspiracy theories and we are not even going to touch that. We're just going to leave it right where it lays. I mean, there have been multiple studies linking conspiracy beliefs to quasi-religious mentalities, but nope. We're just going to leave it.
0: (laughs) Delicate. Kid gloves. People also believe conspiracy theories because we're social. We live in societies made of groups. We live in a society. And the way we conduct ourselves in those groups motivate how we think. These are called social motivations, and there are two social motivations that are particularly relevant for conspiracy thinking. The first motivation is to uphold a strong in-group identity, to be a strong and vocal part of the us This increases people's motivation to look for intentionality or to make sense of a situation when they believe their group is under threat by outside forces. People worry about possible conspiracies when they feel strongly connected with and care about the prospective victims of these conspiracies. The second social motivation is to protect against an outgroup suspected to be hostile, to defend your us against them. This them group typically has some threatening quality, such as power, in the case of politicians or managers, uh, or negative stereotypes, in the case of minority groups, which reinforces people's suspicion towards them and adds to the layers of conspiratorial thinking. And since so much about this seems to live in the overlap, I mean, boy, that would just be one messy Venn diagram. It would be like, it'd be pretty dang close to just a circle, really. Right. Um, We have to mention that there are other traits that correlate strongly with the perception of us versus them conflict and with belief in conspiracy theories.
1: One of these traits is called collective narcissism, and that is an exaggerated belief in the greatness of one's in-group. These feelings of in-group superiority imply that competing out-groups are inferior, potentially including the moral inferiority that main actors in conspiracy theories are assumed to have. Higher scores of collective narcissism predict conspiracy theories that implicate competing out-groups as the bad actors. And if that information leads you to predict that stigmatized minority group members believe conspiracy theories more strongly than majority group members, you're right. Research has indeed found substantial conspiracy theorizing among members of minority groups, and these stigmatized minority group members believe both identity-relevant and identity-irrelevant conspiracy theories more strongly than majority group members. This is likely because minority group members blame the system for realistic problems in their communities, like discrimination, for example, and because of the chronic stress of social devaluation. Like John mentioned earlier, people who feel alienated are more likely to engage in this kind of thinking.
0: And then one final broader thought on why people believe conspiracies. You may have heard the phrase confirmation bias thrown around before. Almost certainly if you've dived into the milieu of online debate, you've seen accusations of confirmation bias being thrown around. And this is something we work very hard not to give into while we research, and it is difficult because our natural inclinations drive us to do it. When we are looking for answers, in whatever situation that is in, if we're not careful, we tend to search for and favor and and remember information in a way that confirms or supports our beliefs or values. When we want something to be true, we cherry-pick the data that makes it true. And this is confirmation bias and we are all guilty. In conspiracy thinking, this is what drives people to search out information that supports their ideas and completely disregard any countervailing information. And when combined with the internet and algorithms designed to get you to click on and stay on a website no matter what you're looking at, it is all too easy for people who start out as genuinely curious to quickly become trapped in an echo chamber of articles and videos and blogs and trash, really, that work overtime to support their conclusions and to deny the contrary evidence. If you're feeling frisky, just go to YouTube and click on any conspiracy video, any of them. Then go back to your homepage and see how the recommended results have changed. And then the more you click on, The more conspiracy videos you view, the less likely you are to see anything that contradicts what you're looking for. Like, if you want to find information about vaccines causing autism and you watch a YouTube video about vaccines causing autism, the next thing that the algorithm shows you is going to be more likely than not another video about vaccines causing autism and less about less likely to be about the evidence against vaccines causing autism, even though that video is out there for this reason. I I honestly wouldn't actually recommend doing this because it will throw your, it'll throw things off for the rest of time. (laughs) Like you will always be getting these weird trash videos. (laughs) So not really a great idea but you could do it when you combine confirmation bias with the other motivating factors we've discussed here, trying to regain some sort of control, trying to understand why something horrible happens, trying to vindicate your out group. You have a powerful vortex that is incredibly difficult to escape. And it just sucks
1: you down farther and farther to kind of piggyback on that. And we didn't, we didn't really touch on it very much here, Another reason that people believe conspiracy theories is because sometimes they turn out to be true, and that's its own kind of confirmation bias, right? We've all heard somebody who believes in one of these completely irrational theories cite one that actually turned out to be true as evidence that it's not irrational to believe in the one that they believe in, um, and so we do have to point out that sometimes these things do turn out to be true, uh, but there there are ways that you can look for the ones that could potentially turn out to be true. And generally, they're the ones who um, who have demonstrable evidence. There's credible sources that are asking questions, or um, there are documents that can be found that refer to the things that might be going on—real, actual documents from credible people who. Who cited, but we do we do have to just acknowledge First-hand that sometimes. Firsthand,
0: primary documents. Yeah,
1: primary like sources. Primary
0: documents. Yeah. Yeah. I. The the number one the number one conspiracy theory that always comes to mind when we're talking about this thing is MK Ultra. Always. Whenever I get talking to somebody who really buys into the QAnon stuff or vaccine stuff, there and I say, like my rule of thumb is, and one that is very useful is, if the conspiracy requires two or more people to keep a secret, it didn't happen. <laughs> and the more people the more people right. that are required to keep it secret the less likely it is to have actually happened and and like it is an exponential growth right. so like it is harder and harder the more people you get involved and people are like well, what about mk ultra that always happened and i'm like and we know about it right you that's what happened is mk ultra happened yes but one what actually happened isn't the same as what the conspiracy theories at the time were <laughs> yes. about. Yes, yes. So a lot of the time we benefit or the, the the this like, well, what about this thing that is true benefits from hindsight and getting history rewritten about what the accusations actually were, right? Somebody thought that government mind control experiments were going on. They weren't alleging MKUltra, they were alleging government mind control conspiracies. Right. <laughs> and... MKUltra happened and happened to include that, and therefore the allegations became true. And right. that, is what, that is what you have to be very, very careful about when you're talking to these people because technically, yes, but you are, like you just pointed out, that is confirmation bias to be like, see, we were right. It's like, no, <laughs> you were close. You were and that is a very different thing.
1: Right. Right. Well, then it goes back to what we were talking about, like way up at the beginning. The truth comes out in pieces. Truth naturally evolves. Conspiracy theories have all the answers all at once. Yeah. Right. So one of the the easiest ways to tell is if, if the theory that you're looking at can explain it all right now. It's likely not very well grounded in truth because we know that truth continuously evolves. But before we get into the shameless plug, I just felt like we did have to acknowledge that like, yeah, sometimes these things turn out to be true. And that's, you know, we're, that's why we're not calling people crazy for believing in conspiracy theories. We're talking about all of the different psychology as to why we might be predisposed to believe in these things. Um, so yeah, just, uh. So, yeah, we're not calling you crazy. We're just uh, giving you some things to, to watch out for. All right, shameless plug. Yes, sir. Yeah. Shameless plug. This is where we ask you very politely and not insistently at all to leave us a review if your podcasting platform supports it. Seriously, though, uh, reviews are literal gold in the podcasting industry. And I used to roll my eyes every single time a podcast host would say that. Um, But now being a podcast host, I fully understand just how valuable they are. So if the podcasting platform on which you listen allows you to leave us a review, we would be eternally grateful if you would go ahead and do that. If it does not, you could always leave us your review on the Facebook. That is correct. We have a Facebook page it is called Fireside Breakdowns. Surprise, surprise. And on that page, you can leave us a review or you can request a topic, which would also be cool. We love listener requested topics. We've tackled two, three of them so far. Three. Three, um, And so we would love to know what you would like to hear about. And then if you are on the Facebook, you might as well find us on the Instagram. Or maybe you don't have Facebook because only grandparents are on facebook anymore gosh you can also find us on instagram and we are fireside breakdowns there as well and it is harder to leave us a review there but you can request a topic or you can take a look at some of the cool supplemental information that we share because we can't get all of our sources into this you can't see the cool pictures that we might find um, and it's hard for us to link you to the sources that we're reading so we do post a lot of really fun supplemental information over there and we would love to hear from you
0: robin robin don't forget
1: don't forget what
0: don't forget about the newest addition to the fires oh no stable, we're not, we're not ready media. for that yet
1: we're robin
0: it's happening robin
1: no we're not ready for that yet It is not robin, I, f- we're not ready for me to tell you guys that we're on twitter now because that's <sighs> a lot of pressure <laughs> <We're> th- <laughs> That's, we said it would never happen, but I know I happened. know Twitter's a lot of pressure, you guys. It's so much, it's so fast, it's a full time job, and it's, we both have full I know. Just more than one full time job but it's just so hard to resist the wealth of information that can be found there that is so relevant to what we do um and i I realized probably for like the ninth time, but the time that really stuck with me over the last few days, just how many people are still on Twitter kind of was living in a state of denial about who's on Twitter. Um, but then I was I was talking to somebody in my actual job about going where your audience is. And I was thinking about, like they, they are a company that has no business being on Twitter, just absolutely none. And so I was going through the types of people that are active on Twitter and it's all of our people. And then I felt convicted and I made us a Twitter Oh, so.
0: professional conviction
1: i know oh.
0: so yeah that that'll be spinning up in the next couple of weeks no idea exactly how we're going to use it yet because the platform is so wildly different yeah from facebook and and instagram so still still figuring that out but yeah, yeah. you can officially find us there too yeah yeah and then you can write us one uh
1: oh yeah you can email us i completely forgot about email who even emails anymore (laughs) (laughs) we are also
0: really old people
1: right we are also fireside breakdowns at gmail.com and you can send us an email with your strongly worded thoughts or your gently worded thoughts preferably Preferably. or if you're an expert on something we might like to talk about and you would like to talk to us on our podcast you can send us an email we would love to hear from you
0: let's let these people go let me give them some good news okay give them some good news Research firm Zingle Labs reported this week that misinformation on Twitter and social media in general dropped 73% last week after a certain high-profile politician and many of his allies were banned from the platform and several, several others, <laughs> including Pinterest,
1: actually. I, it's which Spotify.
0: Seems to be. It's spot, you know, Spotify anyway. was just
1: like, me too! <laughs>
0: can't listen here. Um, Conversations about election fraud dropped from 2.5 million mentions to 688,000 mentions across several social media sites in the week after Trump was banned from Twitter. Election disinformation had for months been a major subject of online misinformation, beginning even before the November 3rd election and pushed heavily by Trump and his allies. The use of hashtags affiliated with the Capitol riot also dipped considerably. Mentions of the hashtag Fight for Trump, which was widely deployed across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media services in the week before the rally, dropped a staggering 95%. Hold the Line and the term March for Trump also fell more than 95%. Which really would... I think feel like salt in the wounds of the likes of Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg who argued for the longest time that taking these steps would not actually have the intended effect and would probably backfire. Um, and many, many other talking heads said the same thing. Um, it would, it would be very interesting to see how that impacts the so-called, uh, (laughs) marches and rallies. And I'm just going to say it, uh, planned pseudo-terroristic activities coming up in the next week Mm -hmm. and if those still happen. So, you know, that's a great thing. It's a great thing. And, I mean, it's a great thing as long as you're not part of the in-group that feels like an out-group is silencing your voice and hiding evidence of coordinated wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it feels like that's what we're going to sign this one off before we get too deep into that one. So thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in this week. Uh, We will be back a week from now with a discussion about how conspiracy theories affect people and then moving into talking about how conspiracy theories can lead to things like radicalization and authoritarianism and putting it all together. So very excited to get into this. I think we've been trying to, we've been actually a little gun shy about this particular topic since we started because it's so stinking big and uh, yeah. So we will see you then. We hope to hear from you, and until then, everybody, take care of each other.